I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to do a little hashtag Snell talk and uh, I'd like to talk about the weather. And okay. I love living in Virginia. I really do. It's got a, a nice bit of the South, a nice bit of the North. I know this is a point of contention uh, between myself and my other co-hosts, but nevertheless, it is a very nice melting pot and you will come see it one day, I'm sure. Uh, but that being said, the one bad thing about Virginia is that we go from winter and then the following season is pollen and the season after that is summer. There is no mm-hmm. spring. There's just winter, pollen, summer. And as I get more and more sensitive to these things, particularly uh, my eyes, because as I've said on the show before, I wear hard contacts because I have a weird thing called keratoconus. If a microscopic pollen molecule lands in my eye and somehow wedges itself under my contacts, it is like the most painful thing in the world, says a man who's never given birth or had a kidney stone or any of the other things that are far more painful. It's at least the most painful thing in your own eye. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I am so ready to be done with pollen. I hate the pollen season. I love the flowers. I hate the pollen season. Mm. So I, I bring this up slightly to wine and also to ask you, what is the weather in London like these days? Do you go straight from winter to summer? Do you have a lovely spring? Do you have like, and, and as much as I'd love to be you know, snarking on you right now, I'm genuinely asking, is there like a rainy season around this part of the, this time of the no, year? No, it's, well, I mean, who knows, but it's right now it's, uh, it's springy. Yeah. <laughs> it's been pretty warm the last couple of days. What is it? It's like, uh, 68 degrees today. Okay. That's very nice. That's very nice. Yeah, 20 degrees Celsius. It's been a little bit warmer than that over the weekend. Um, yeah, the weather is the weather is changing. But with it, as you know, comes allergy season. Hay fever mm-hmm. is abound. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Then, if this is such an issue, why don't you just wear glasses during the summer? Because I do have a set of glasses, and you are probably on the shortlist of people that have seen me in them at some point or another. But uh-huh. um. But they are good enough to get me from a complete useless blob into somebody that's somewhat useful. Like I can see stuff, but pretty much everything is blurry, even with my glasses. And even though these things are like Coke bottles. And so the only way for me to have really good vision is when I have my contacts in. And this becomes particularly. There's no kind of like glasses prescription that Mm -mm. can get you to 2020 no no it has I, to be contacts that's right i would much prefer to have glasses and just throw the contacts away but i can't that um that's because yeah it's, it's terrible and that's because your eyes are crap yes the the way it, my eyes are shaped is that in a more extreme version of keratoconus and we'll put a link in the show notes i i will warn you not to click the link uh unless you want no, to see something i don't something. want to put a link in the show notes okay people could just go look for it themselves like i don't want to let people accidentally click on what <laughs> i'm sure is just like lots of pictures of poking in eyes and stuff. Well, not exactly. It's it's that in extreme cases of this it. disease. Let's not describe it. Don't it, want it described. Don't. <laughs> okay. Just not nice. Just say it's not nice for the it's, eyes. It's not nice for the eyes. And the only Thank way you. to fix it is to put contact lenses in front of your eyes. It's, right. it's because my eyes are misshapen and I will not get more specific than that. And so anyway, so because my eyes are misshapen, the only way to really and truly fix it is with contact lenses. And there are some like uh, trial things that you can do, but for the most part, you have to use like hard contacts, which which are the kind of contacts they had like back in the 60s. And then almost everyone else has gone away from because we have soft contacts now. They're far more comfortable and you can wear for like many days at a time and stuff like that. But um, And can be disposed of and don't need the cleaning and all that mm-hmm, nonsense. Mm-hmm, exactly right. So I need to wear hard contacts, which is very unfun. 
but anyway, anyway, so I can't use glasses. I can use glasses like around the house. I can even get, you know, reasonable amounts of work done with my glasses, but the time when it really becomes uncomfortable is when I go to get in a car and drive. And I probably could drive with my glasses, but I would not feel like that was a correct choice or a, or a safe choice to make. Uh, so what I try to do is never, ever, ever, ever drive if I have only glasses on and no contacts in. Anyway, that's what I got. It's not fun. I love the spring, but I, oh God, I hate the spring. So it's just spring you have this problem in? Yeah, well, what happens is like all of Virginia just vomits pollen all at the same time everywhere. And so like my car is constantly covered in pollen. It If I leave the garage door open for more than about an hour, there's a layer of pollen on my car. Um, you know, my eyes are getting attacked constantly. God. It's, it's, I'm never coming to Virginia in the springtime. Yeah. Around Heck this time, no. uh, it's, I, I can't really recommend it with an honest heart. It's just, this is not the right time of year for it, but that's okay. I'm glad that London weather is uh perfect. So do you have, again, I'm not trying to snark. Do you have a particularly rainy season or, or is it just that it's always a uh, threat of rain? I, I don't know. Spring and the winter is when it will rain the most probably like, I mean, like, in 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 the amount of times it will rain you know it can get pretty crazy in the summer right you have like a summer rain like a storm or whatever Mm -hmm. if i'm being completely honest i feel like it doesn't rain that much uh i don't really feel like that i notice it raining more than like when i've been to other places like that are kind of more climate like us but we are known for our rain and that makes people happy what what am i supposed to do about it (laughs) (laughs) you know uh, i've only been to london three times and i Mm -hmm. think that of the three times i've went each of which was for about a week about a week each time i think it rained like one day over that combined total of three weeks and and so i mean but let's be honest you're probably coming at like nice weather times of the year that's also true Yeah. yeah it was uh it was summer all three times, I believe, actually. It was extreme summer the last time. Oh, God, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. Oh, that I was still... the worst summer ever. <laughs> yeah, it was. So bad. It was about 80 degrees centigrade out, I think. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. No, man, it got into the 90s. Centigrade. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, 90 degrees Celsius. We all boiled. We, we boiled that. alive. Uh, I have a guilty conscience. Okay, tell me why. I made a mistake last week, and oh. it's been bothering me. Okay. Um, I said I, I did some calculations wrong when it came to converting kilograms to pounds mm-hmm. when talking about my weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said on the last episode that I lost thirty-five pounds, which would have been incredible. I've lost over twenty pounds, just over twenty pounds. Oh, I take all my accolades back. Yeah, please do. I'm not a hundred percent sure how I made this like gross miscalculation, uh, but I did. The number is not important. Ultimately, um, not to me anyway, like the number is a nice thing to tell people so they can contextualize that you had an achievement. Uh, But really, it's how I feel and look. And I think that's all that most people care about anyway, like people that would know me. Like, it's just like, oh, you look better. You look lighter, like whatever. Right. Um, Or like, you know, uh, you look I don't like to say better because it's like implying something that I don't that I'm not comfortable with. I think I would prefer to say, considering the fact that you're doing this, so imagine this is wrapped up in people's conception of what they're trying to tell me. Considering the fact that we know you're trying to do this, I can see that you are succeeding in your goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Um, with you. Because, you know, I am doing it because it's what I want to do. Like, I want to lose weight because that's something that I want to do. 
but I don't think that it is inherent for most people that they should necessarily like you do whatever makes you happy. And as long as you're healthy, then like go for it. Right. Um, that's just a really roundabout way to correct a phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to learn Casey, let's try to learn. Yep. Me too. Um, Who knows how math works? Definitely not me. We've been through this before. (laughs) Do you remember the time when I, uh, when I said my age wrong on a show? Yes, you just brought this up mm-hmm. on another show. What was I listening to where you told that story, told that story very Who briefly? Who knows? I bring it up quite a lot, though, because I think it's the best. I might have been on... It's on a show. I'll talk about the best follow-up I've ever received, and that was it. It's from my friend Rob, who wrote in. is like, nope, we're the same age, and you're not that age. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted this back on the record that I've lost like 21 pounds, not 35. That is all kidding aside. That is really incredible. I mean, losing that much weight, be it by diet, by exercise or some combination of the both, that is not easy. And and that is something to be proud of. I mean, 20, 35, it doesn't matter. I would say anything more than just one or two pounds is an achievement. So 20 yeah. is quite a bit. I'll probably, like I plan to get to 35, right? Like maybe, I don't know what the exact number is, but that, that number, because I, I, you know, I feel like I've passed halfway now mm-hmm. of like how far I want to get to. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of it, it ends up being like, oh, it was like 35. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. I actually have, uh, I did not put this in the show notes cause I wasn't thinking about it, but I have a little bit of a health related follow-up as well. Uh, about a month ago, month and a half ago, I went to my general practitioner for the first time in uh, quite a long time, excuse me. And, um, mm. and so they informed me that my cholesterol was not really any good. And this is something that runs in my family, so it was not terribly surprising. But they said, well, it's not good enough that you should consider making different choices with what you eat. And this is something that I've been ever extremely slowly working on in general, was just trying to eat a little bit healthier. But I've been mostly ignoring that that, that goal I've set for myself. And so they said, hey, come back in a month, which, as it turns out, was a couple of weeks ago. And you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how your cholesterol is. And we'll see if we really need to take like more... Uh, extreme isn't the word I'm looking for, but more extreme action or something. So I changed my diet up. I uh, stopped making myself sandwiches for lunch. Oftentimes they were grilled cheese sandwiches because they're so good, Mike. They're so good. But anyway, I uh, How many I stopped. Times are you eating grilled cheese sandwiches? Like every lunch, every day. You made a grilled cheese sandwich every day. Well, for not lunch. literally every day, but often, like more days than not. Yes. So it turns out that's bad for your cholesterol. Who knew? Um, so anyway, so. I, uh, I have started making salads for lunch every day. So I have a fruit smoothie for breakfast. I have a salad for lunch and then I'll have, you know, a a regular person (laughs) meal for dessert. We're just, we're just getting old, right? I know. That's what's happening. It's so true. It's like, I feel like that, that everyone's hearing as we are all progressively getting older. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it's kind of embarrassing that we're all just like fumbling through these realizations together. (laughs) Oh, I have to watch what I eat. Who Can knew? you imagine such a thing? <laughs> so yeah, so I I was I by and large I made far better choices over the over the month and I got my blood drawn. I think it was last week as we record and uh my cholesterol is much better. It is not perfect, but it is in the realm of good enough so that we don't have to Congratulations worry about it. Congratulations to you. So I'm uh, thank you. I'm very excited about that. I also happened to lose a couple of pounds, nothing like what you've gone through. But you lost that bit. grilled cheese weight, boy. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. All that, yeah. all that American cheese just flew right off me. But um, <laughs> don't even start with me. Actually, the correct grilled cheese, if I'm honest, is a slice of American and a slice of cheddar. That is the correct way to do it. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a Benjamin Babish video uh, where he creates 
the what he considers to be the ultimate grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, interesting. Does this have like some sort of really esoteric cheese though, where you need to nope. go to like Whole Foods to get nope. it or something like that? Nope. He he ends up with like some fancy cheeses, but you can get them like anywhere probably, right? Like, will you get the best ones anywhere? No, probably not. But he works out this like grilled cheese blend, which looks very good. That actually reminds me. This is very old. Uh, uh, maybe follow up question mark. Uh, but you had pointed me to an episode of Binging with Babbage, which I don't generally watch. I, I do enjoy it when I Should see though. it, but I don't generally watch. Um, you pointed me to an episode. Uh, maybe you can take over. You know exactly what I'm thinking of, I think. But the, the summary is they decided uh, the, Bab- the Babbage fellow or whatever his name is um, and and his team decided to try to like give back to some of their fans. And they did one yeah, episode of this being with Babish. Does this like being a mini series? There you go. But, okay. Yeah. It's like a vlog. So good. Yeah. So good. I've only seen the first one. Is there a second one? There's a few of them. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm gonna have to check this out then. I have saved the, the next, there's like two more, I think, or one more. Um, I haven't seen that one yet. It's in my watch later queue. I cannot speak highly enough about how lovely that first one was. And I only speak about the first one because it's the only one I've mm-hmm. seen. But uh, the the first one was so very, very, very good. And if you want a 15-minute just feel-good video, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, it, it was made me very cry. well done. It yep. made me cry. It was so beautiful. He basically just, if there's a fan in need and he gives back to them uh, and makes a little vlog about it. And it's just so wholesome and so nice. And yeah, it's really, just really wonderful. He's a nice guy. Yeah, and that's like the thing, nice is that there's a way to do this that's quietly self-indulgent, like, oh, look at me, I'm doing this nice thing, look at how nice I am, but that's not mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. this video was at all. It really just seems like a guy who just really honestly wanted to do something nice for some other human, That and and I thought it was really lovely. So uh, we'll put that link in the show notes for, uh, if not the whole season or whatever, at least that very first video, because- uh, I'll put I, both in. Okay, there you go. Uh, it is really, really well done. I'm glad you uh, pointed me to it. I really loved it. Uh, and just a piece of follow-up from Ian. Uh, Junior Monopoly is so much better than Standard Monopoly. It cuts out all the unnecessary details and gets straight to the point. You can reach the endgame arguments and general sulking stage <laughs> <laughs> in less than 15 minutes. Other than this being just a perfectly worded piece of follow-up from Agreed. Ian, I actually agree. I'd forgotten. We used to play Junior Monopoly as a kid. Junior Monopoly is my favorite version of Monopoly because it gets rid of a lot of like the mortgage rules and all that kind of stuff. Um, makes it a lot more simple to play and actually complete in a relatively comfortable space of time. Yeah, I should uh, real-time follow-up. It's Monopoly Junior as per Wikipedia, not Junior Monopoly. It doesn't matter really, but just to prevent people writing in. But uh, I'll have to check that out. Would anybody write in about that? Mm-hmm, maybe. you should. See, I know this is an ATP, but you should see some of the ATP feedback we get. Mike, I feel like that is ultimately... a situation you have wrought upon yourselves <laughs> well, let's but not let's not pull that's that a conversation yeah. for another time maybe <laughs> uh, i have thoughts about this as well but let's not let's not rip that band-aid off quite yet uh, but <laughs> nevertheless uh, monopoly jr i i feel like i've seen this in the past but i don't know that i've ever played it uh and that does sound very good i should give that a shot at some point all right tell me about something that's awesome these days ISL Online, a reliable and simple-to-use remote desktop software. You can remotely access and manage devices to provide on-demand IT support, and it is super easy to use. If you work in support, look, you know how tricky it can be to help with a client problem. It can take so many steps, so much time to try and navigate somebody through 
their software on the phone or worse over email can you imagine oh my god oh my god no, thank like you. just send in an email like click this button send get like 20 minutes later Blah. Uh, but you can save yourself all of the hassle of frustrating phone calls and endless email screenshots because of ISO online you can access a Windows Linux or Mac remote computer in less than three seconds so you can help your clients the moment that they need you and you can even access any remote computer using your iPhone iPad Android phone or Android tablet as well you can even set up permanent remote access if that's something that you need so you can install the remote access agent on any Windows or Mac computer and for your clients peace of mind I ISO Online is fully compliant with strict security industry standards, and they have a bunch of information about that on their website. Take the hassle out of IT support. Get a fully featured trial by going to islonline.com slash analog right now. That is islonline.com slash analog. Our thanks to ISO Online for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Mike, the movie's time. Indeed. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen the 1998 film Ronin, starring Robert De Niro, now is the time to make use of your chapter skip, or whatever you can do in your podcast player of choice, to skip past uh, the discussion about Ronin, or no, you can just listen to it. what they should do is pause, go watch the movie. Ah, that's true. Come back. That's yeah. what you should do. That Don't just lose all way. this primo content <laughs> that we have we, we have worked so very hard to bring bring to you. So but yes. yeah, I just watched a two hour movie last night for this <laughs> the struggle. Right, it's primo content. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, one way or another, uh, we are going to very very much spoil Ronin uh, over the next some minutes. So uh, you should go check it out. You should definitely watch it. Uh, I obviously love this movie. We'll find out momentarily if Mike does as well. But one way or another, this is where we are going to start spoiling. So I would like to start with a very, very brief preamble. And there's two, two legs to this preamble. Number one, I would like to publicly apologize to one Mr. Michael Hurley. Screwed me. I screwed you so bad. And uh, I apologize for this. So Ronin takes place in France. And there is not an overabundance of French in the movie, but there are definitely some parts where there's little bits of French and there's one particular scene. We need to go back a little bit further than this. So whenever we do these things, Casey always says to me, don't buy it, don't buy it, just watch it on my Plex (laughs) and I always buy it. I always just buy it because it's like, I'll just buy the movie. And then he's like, this time was like really telling me about it and I think also there's a part of it where he's hoping that I can tell him that it was perfectly fine so he can have corroboration to his evidence that the issue with his plex that Marco was having was nothing to do with me. (laughs) Can confirm I streamed the entire thing at 1080p absolutely perfectly no issues. I know that was all you really wanted to hear. That's all I cared about. probably the only reason this Mike at the Movies was set up in the first place. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there was no issues there. Um, So... But this time I was like, okay, because I, I recently had signed up for Plex because Casey kept bothering, me, kept bothering <laughs> me about it and was like enticing me with all of these movies that I could watch that I currently already own. But it was just like, oh, this would be a nicer way for you to watch it. That's how it works, right? That's how mm-hmm. use, people use Plex. I just watch the movies that I already own, but from you because I legally own them already, right? right? That, that's exactly how it works. Okay. You know, I've been thinking about this a little bit. Oh, here we go. You know, we're never going to get to this movie. <laughs> If if you you if I came to your house and mm-hmm. you had run on a Blu-ray and mm-hmm. you were like, here you go, give it back to me next week, that's not illegal. That's right. So why is I guess it's the sharing of the file, but like I'm not even sharing the f- file, right? Like I don't get the file if I watch it from Plex. I'm just like 
streaming it from you. But well, anyway, yeah, I know the reason it's illegal is because they made it illegal, right? <laughs> like it's I'm not stupid. Uh, it doesn't matter about the actual method of sharing it. It's illegal because the motion. Picture Association of America or whatever just mm-hmm. decided it would be illegal, so therefore it is illegal. But anyway, um, but this time I acquiesced and watched the movie from Casey's Plex. Now you can take back over again. Right. Okay. So as I was saying, this movie has a bit of French in it, and there's one scene in particular that's maybe two thirds of the way through the movie that is pretty much entirely in French. And the scene is only, I don't know, a minute long, maybe. And I, I don't feel like it was pivotal, but if I was in Mike's shoes, I'd probably think it was pivotal. And where I'm going with this, you could probably tell is that I literally do have a Blu-ray copy of Ronin. In fact, I would do a little Foley work, but it's out of arm's reach. Um, It is in the other side of of this very room I'm sitting in. And that's what Mike was watching. I ripped a copy of Ronin that I had paid for and put it on, on Plex. Well, when I ripped it, I did not grab the subtitles with it accidentally. And so those portions of the film that were in French, there were no subtitles. So I thought Ronin was one of these movies, these clever movies where they purposefully didn't use the subtitles. Mm-hmm. So it, to me, it was like, it's a bold choice they're making because <laughs> there was a lot of French in this movie, Casey. Maybe you don't realize it, but the whole opening part, right? That's all yeah. in French. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the first kind of like action scene with the negotiation by the uh, doc, yep, yep, that's yep, yep, all yep, in yep, French. Yep. I did not remember that. You're right. A lot of like just general instructions are given between people in French and the entire conversation, which did seem to be really important and an emotional turning point after Robert De Niro, the bullet taken out of his hip, mm. was also in French. That's, that's what so, I was thinking of. Uh, yeah, I knew that because that was, that was the key one. That was when I decided to check if there were subtitles on the thing and there was not subtitles. It, there was no option. So I just thought, This is really interesting because this movie does do something that I like um, when it comes to uh, the way that language is dealt with in a movie. That if you have two people who are from, are like native of a place and you're in that place and they're on their own, they would not be speaking in English to each other. Right. And too many movies, in my opinion, do this. Like, of course, these characters would be speaking in French to each other, right? And I always appreciate it when a movie does that. I also do appreciate sometimes when a movie will use another language and not provide subtitles, especially if you're seeing the movie from almost the point of view of one character. Mm -hmm. And if that character wouldn't know what was being said, then why should you know what was being said? Um, So sometimes I can appreciate stuff like that. I thought that this movie was being clever, but it turns out that there were subtitles that Casey neglected to provide me with. <laughs> that is accurate. So I wanted to apologize to Mike mm-hmm. that uh, I, I had accidentally done... I don't know when I did this rip. I, I don't know what I did wrong, but uh, just this morning... I re-ripped it, and I haven't compressed it yet, but I re-ripped from the Blu-ray, which is why the Blu-ray was in my office. And that doesn't help Mike at all, but the next time I watch this movie, or perhaps Mike watches it because clearly he loved it, uh, then hopefully I will do it properly this time and subtitles will be available. So, an apology. The other leg of my re- of my preamble, which is even quicker, uh, quite a bit quicker, I just wanted to set the frame of mind for, or my frame of mind, for the very first time I saw this movie which was, I believe when I was in college, I was, I I was always into cars growing up, but I was like 
deeply into cars at this point. Not to say I'm not now, but I was, it was real, it was real bad, good, depending on how you look at it. In no small part, because I had nothing to do with my life except sit, avoid schoolwork and sit there and think about cars. Um, so I was obsessed with cars. I was just starting to become obsessed with BMWs. That was like the very, 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 very beginning of that obsession. And that was around the time that I watched this movie. And I think it's important to understand that that was my frame of mind the first time I saw this movie, because I think having watched it again last night, and then, and then as soon as I finish this thought, I want Mike to give your opening statement, please. As, as I was watching it again last night, I stand by that I love this movie. I'm not sure it's a good movie. <laughs> so I, 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 don't, I don't know okay. what to make of that. Because I, I do, th- I love it and I enjoy it. But I almost wonder if there's too much subtlety and too much that's left unsaid to the point that it's not good anymore. So that's my opening statement. The two likes of my opening statement. Uh, at this point, Mike, I have talked way too much. So I would like whatever sort of opening statement you would like. Or if you prefer, we can just dive right in. I have two opening statements now. Oh, excellent. I originally okay. had one opening <laughs> statement. My first opening statement is the one that I like to do is where I like to tell you what I wrote down before I watched the movie as to mm, what I thought mm-hmm. the movie yes, was going to yes, be about. Yes, please. Um, I wrote Samurai question mark because <laughs> I'm familiar <laughs> with the idea of the, is it 47 Ronin? That's right. Um, like I'm just familiar with that concept anyway. Um, and, but I was like, this surely can't be a Samurai movie because <laughs> yeah, Robert De Niro not. is in the lead and I've already <laughs> seen the cover and he's holding a gun. So this is clearly not a feudal Japan uh, samurai movie. Um, I figured it was like a cop movie because it's De Niro and he yeah. looks pretty copy on the poster. <laughs> um, and, and either that or I thought it was like a gangster movie because also it's Robert De Niro. Um, and Adina told me that she'd seen it before and remembered liking the movie. Oh, good. And we watched okay. it together. Mm-hmm. So that's opening statement number one. Okay. Opening statement number two is I have many notes in there. Um, where is it? I want to find them. 25 minutes. No idea what's happening. <laughs> um, one hour in. Still no idea what's happening. <laughs> so there's, a lot, there's a lot of that going on in this movie. And then at the end, uh, Adina was like, I need to read the plot of this movie to make sure that I understood what was going on here. And she goes to Wikipedia, spends a couple of minutes, and just bursts out laughing because oh, she's no. because uh, everything that I had been saying about the movie while we were watching it turned out to be accurate. Because uh, I was saying to her, right, I don't know the motivation for any of this, and it feels like this is purposeful, and they're never going to tell me. This is what I, they're the kind of things that I was saying. Like mm-hmm, I could mm-hmm. pick up what the movie was putting down, which is like you don't know who any of these people are. You don't know any of their motivations and you're just going to have to like it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, and, and then also one other thing I said, and we'll get to this later, so let's not talk about it right now, which is mm. uh, car chases are amazing. So like, she, <laughs> but these are all the things that she'd read out. She was like, like the three major points is like, you don't know anything about the backstory. You have no idea what the case is for or what it's to be used for. And it's renowned for its car chases. So it turns out I ended up understanding exactly what this movie was putting down. (laughs) Let me tell you, right? This is not a good movie, but I enjoyed it. Uh, Okay. Okay. So no wonder you laughed so much when I said the exact same thing. Yeah. This is, this is not a good movie. It is actually, okay. This is a fine movie, Mm -hmm. right? Like it is fine. It is not bad. Um, I was not wishing for it to be over. 
Uh, I wasn't laughing at it. And the parts that are good about it are very good. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I did also realize this is kind of funny. About 10 minutes in, I was like, I know I haven't seen this movie before, but why is this? Why do I remember it? Interesting. I have watched the Movies with Mikey episode. Oh. Mm. Called mm-hmm. Does Ronan Stand Up? Right. right. So like, okay. He's looking like, Does Ronan Stand Up? And I'm thinking to myself, Why does Ronan hold up? Is the, and I'm like, like thinking to myself, Why did I watch that? And I remember when I was binging his videos, I also just decided to see, like, what is it like to watch a video from Movies with Mikey, which is another YouTube series that I adore, of movies I haven't seen? You know, I was thinking like mm-hmm. with the Flop House, which is a podcast that I've loved for years, uh, but I've, I haven't listened to for a very long time. Um, but I'd love the Flop House. I have all the episodes there. One day I will catch up on them. You're not really supposed to watch the movie at all, right? Like in the mm-hmm. same way that there mm-hmm. are people listening to this right now who have absolutely no desire to watch Ronan, right? Which right. is, I think, is perfectly fine. I, yeah, I think yeah. people, you know, you should watch it, it's the, so it's better for the conversation. But you don't have to, and I know I've done it too. Like I've listened to episodes of The Incomparable. Uh, for video games and movies that I haven't seen or played, um, so yeah, that's I've seen that episode of movies with Mikey, and so that was why some of the stuff was popping up. Mm-hmm. I am going to go mm-hmm. back and watch that again. Yeah, I need to. Um, as I well. do remember there was one thing that he said, which is super true about this movie. Um, one of the, like it's, it's it is very lucky that it has excellent car chases because it's one of the last movies that would do them practically in this way, because like when this movie was made, nineteen ninety eight. CGI was starting to really become good, right? And like the preferred idea of the way that this stuff was done. I think I'm remembering this right. So he's kind of like, you know, these car chases are amazing and it's also one of the last movies that will do them at this scale, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the amount of destruction caused in that final car chase scene is astronomical. I have no idea how they were able to pull that off. Oh, yeah. Um, Like just the amount of road and the amount of vehicles that needed to be kind of brought into it it looked real it looked like real real it looked like it was that they were just driving these cars down a regular street it was kind of beautifully done um so heist movie i guess right <laughs> yeah and that's what actually brought this back to the front of my mind i, mean, I figured that that the reason we watched this movie okay so as it started out and i noticed that they were assembling a crew right I then went to relay.fm slash top four <laughs> and took a look at the list of movies that that our friends over on the top four podcast, Tiff and Marco Armin, are going to be doing for their heist episode because in their episode about top four nuts, they <laughs> they put this is like so many levels deep yeah. at this point. Oh my they put a list of the movies that they are going to be watching for their top four heist movies, which is episode fifty one, which I am assuming might be out maybe by the time that this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, it will be like very soon after that. Um, but yeah, so that that they're doing like a top four heist movies, and I was like, oh, this must be included in that. And the reason I thought this is because Casey's recommending this movie to me. I'm assuming it is considered to be a good movie because why else would Casey recommend it to me? Um, (laughs) I didn't actually get your reason for recommendation until like 10 minutes ago. Um, And so 
uh, well, actually, the reason for recommendation is kind of also happening at this very moment. We're discussing it. but So I figured it was going to be in that list. It was not in that list, which then made me realize Casey likes this movie, wanted it to be on their list. That's it's correct. not on their list. So he's making me watch it with him instead. That is correct. And I did petition Marco to put it on the list. And I got the expected, eh, maybe. And so we'll see. I don't know if he actually did it. Um, I don't think that I have seen any plays of Ronin from my Plex other than you, but I haven't exactly Mm -hmm. gone and researched this. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, You know, now I'm almost wondering if it's for the best since, like I said in my second leg of my opening statement, you know, I, I... I stand by that I love this movie, but I don't know that it's a particularly good movie, as you had also said, Mike. And and I didn't really realize that until I watched it again last night and tried to come at it fresh, which, of course, you can't really do. But, you know, I tried to think to myself, all right, if I'd never seen this movie, if I didn't know this movie pretty darn well, like, what would I think of it? And and I I did come to the conclusion that it's it's okay. It's as just as a piece of cinema, I think it's okay. Now, there are unbelievable parts like the car chases. I think it's an interesting plot, like as kind of spy heist movies go. I think it's interesting, but I don't know that it was extraordinarily well executed. So. It's very convoluted, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole opening of the movie makes no sense. Like there are p- big, there are parts of it where they were trying to show me something that I don't understand, right? <laughs> I don't know why he needed to test the reflexes of the computer dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't know why particularly pouring the coffee onto Sean Bean was mm-hmm. what he needed to confirm that he was a fake. Yeah, I agree. And that's the thing is that I'm, and I think I've said this before on the show, but I'm a fairly simple-minded moviegoer. And no, I, I, okay. So I'm right. I'm not trying to be like, I'm not uh, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I've always had an appreciation for like little details. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that there are reasons I, I, I get the Sean Bean one more than the reflex one. Cause like what it's like, what he's doing is like, if you could be thrown off guard by some hot coffee hitting your leg, then you surely aren't a tough enough spot. But like he'd already gotten what he needed before the coffee of like tricking him with the boathouse thing. And then like, getting up on this guy and realizing that he has no strategy. Like that was all he really needed. The coffee. I don't, it feels like they were trying to build some kind of like motif with like Robert De Niro's character, being able to find out everything he needs to know from someone from just a coffee cup, like to try and show how <laughs> smart he is or whatever. Right. But like, I, I feel like I do pick up a lot on like weird little things in movies. Like it's, I think it's what, makes John Syracuse. hate the way that I watch movies as he's told me before, which I think is beautiful. I'm so happy that, <laughs> That I can do that for him. Um, but I feel like they were trying to be too clever in places in this movie, um, which stems from the fact that they decided to create a plot which is never resolved and um, that there are elements of this where they mention a thing like the guy in the wheelchair, right? I think is the thing that, mm-hmm. like, what th- that is. I may have missed it because it was said in another language. No, no you didn't. But it is literally never paid off. And it's like, right. All right, I get that. Like you're, I get it, right? Like you're trying to be clever, and it is kind of clever. Um, but th- I think that they they go down that well too many times in this movie, um, considering the fact that their entire plot is predicated on. Remember that briefcase in Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. like that's that's what they're trying to do, right? Like 
that this is an attempt at doing something like that, which is, oh, there's a briefcase. Don't worry about what's in the briefcase. Just know that everybody needs the briefcase. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know in, um, I, I feel, I, I agree with everything you said. In the defense of Ronin, I wonder if the idea behind never explaining anything was to, to some degree to put you in the mindset of these mercenaries, operatives, whatever you'd like to call them, of the crew, because it seems apparent that nobody really knows much about each other either. And so the normal movie-going way of doing things, which is the way that I like, which satisfies me, the simple-minded moviegoers, just explain, oh, you know, Sean Bean is this guy, he's a fraud, there's uh, Larry the driver, who, by the way, actually did most of the driving in the movie, like that actor actually did the driving. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, uh, Gregor, the computer nerd, there's, uh, what was it? Sam is Robert De Niro's character. And what's, uh, uh, Vincent. Is that right? Uh, is, yeah, uh, Jean, Jean, Jean Renault. Yeah. Who, and then the inner pointed out, oh, it's that guy who's in every movie that's in Paris, <laughs> <laughs> which is true. So true. You get an American, American movie set in Paris. Jean Renault is in it. <laughs> it's uh, law somewhere. It's gotta yeah. be law. Um, anyways, but you know, none of these people. I I don't think any of these people really knew each other, and so by you, the moviegoer, not really understanding their past, to some degree, you're you're being put into their shoes as well because none of them know each other's past really. They know about this mythical man in the wheelchair, right? But by that extension, we never know what Sam knows, and we're following Sam. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Right? Like, I get your point, and like, I think again, I think that's what they're driving at. But if I'm supposed to be seeing this movie through his eyes he has information and like that's the other thing of like there's all these questions going around in the movie right everyone's asking questions of each other and nobody gets the information which is that tie-in to like who we are and i gotta you know i like that it's like clever right like he's always like what's who's the boss what's in the case who are those guys everyone's asking questions of each other all the time nobody trusts each other nobody knows the information that they need to know um and that's kind of like one of the big themes of the movie both in and out of the movie uh, but there are times where it's like, it would help me here if you could give me more. Yeah. Like the idea of me not knowing the plot is like perfectly fine, I think, right? Because it's a clever thing to do. It is, it's like the idea of like spoilers for Fight Club, never finding out the name of the guy, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you never know his name and there's like all these reasons for that. Like, you know, like the ha twist, you never knew his name in the first place and his ex in the credits, right? But um you know it's 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 like that right like ah you're never gonna know what's in the briefcase and that's the fun thing about the movie right like but the uh, there are details that would have made things a lot more easy to understand if they'd either omitted or included the things surrounding them um that that's kind of like my that's really my only frustration with the movie um i think that everybody put in great performances the action scenes are great the car scenes are incredible um, it's funny and it does some stuff that like is really real uh, for this for, to, to it kind of like grounds it a little bit in the real world, which I also think is clever. And we should get into I want to talk because I feel like we've done a pretty good job of setting up the things that people would consider to be frustrating or annoying about this movie. Um, but there is genuinely good stuff in it, too. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about it. But we take a break. Should we take a break. First, yes, please. We'll get into that. 
This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. Um, you, maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that will let you do just that. You can grab a unique domain name. You can take advantage of and customize award-winning templates and so much more. Squarespace has all of the tools that you're going to need to make your website sing and make it beautiful and make it wonderful. And they back everything up with award-winning 24-7 customer support. Squarespace is that all-in-one platform platform with nothing to install or patch or upgrade it's all there for you ready to take advantage of they're upgrading it they're adding new features all the time and it's all available to you they have got all of this stuff covered so you don't have to you can go and try out squarespace for yourself right now don't just take my word for it if you go to squarespace.com analog you can sign up for a free trial no credit card required and you can play around with it you can build your entire website and then when you're ready to launch it to the world you sign up for one of their plans which start at just 12 dollars a month but you can get 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show by using the code analog at checkout. So once again, that's squarespace.com slash analog and the code analog for 10% off your first purchase. A thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. This is the movie of double crossing, double crossing, triple tri- crossing, <laughs> quadruple crossing. Everyone's double crossing on each other. Uh, okay, uh, I've verged into a thing, an annoying thing. Sorry, I've done it already. Uh, I do like the double crossing because this movie keeps you on its toes constantly. Everyone is trying to get at each other, right? They're trying to kill each other all the time. Um, everyone's trying to get the briefcase and sell it to somebody else. And then that doesn't work. So they try and sell it to somebody else. And the people that are buying it are double crossing the sellers. Like it's, it is full of this. And that actually makes the movie fun because it's like, you don't know who is going to want anything from anyone, right? And you can't, nobody can be trusted. But by the end of the movie, (laughs) what are Sam and Vincent doing? What are they going to do with the briefcase? Well, okay. So my understanding is that Sam was in the CIA the whole time and he was operating. Oh, I forgot. They explain it. Right. You know what happened? I'll tell you what happened. So I was getting ready. I was started to write down the note, right? After talking about all my double crossing, I've just gone through it again where I wrote like, what is he going to do with the briefcase? And then at that exact moment, he tips off that his entire thing was just to kill the leader of like the Irish resistance. Um, like group, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That were so they could put peace into Ireland. Like that was the whole thing, right? So that the Sinn Fein, uh, so like the peace agreement could be could be met, and like and all that was taken care of. But like that was revealed because up to that, because getting to that point, I was like, what is he planning to do with his briefcase? The Russians will kill him. The Irish will kill him. Nobody wants to buy it. Everyone's trying to steal it. What is the point? And it's because he's actually been sent on a job. You say the CIA. I don't know if that's ever cleared up, but it's just like an American group. Uh, because Americans solve everything, as movies would tell us, You're right? Welcome. You just swoop in. Uh, but I do like that there was uh, some some World War jabs uh, in the movie, though. I feel like that balanced <laughs> it all out. Um, so, you know that that you know, like this, the Americans will come in and take care of it all and commit international war crime. Oh, um, here we go. <laughs> well, that's what this is, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the American government is sending someone, if it is the American government, to kill. So Irish people on French soil, that can't be legal, surely. I would assume not. No, but I, to, to come back to your point, though, I thought that when he warns uh, Deirdre at the end and basically says, get out of here, drive away, he says something to the effect of, I never left. And I think 
I had, I had thought earlier we had established that he had a contact with the CIA. So that implies to me it was the CIA. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter, to your point. Like, it was some American government group of which, you know, Sam is an operative. But one way or another, I, I think that the case, I would presume, was just given to the Americans to destroy or do whatever they want with it. And but the the real key, which we don't find out until the very, very end of the movie, again, to your point, is that they were just trying to get Seamus, the Irish guy. They were trying to kill him so that there would be peace in Ireland, as you said. And that is exactly how it turns out, as um, as ham fistedly explained by the radio broadcast that they have you listen to as we go to the coffee shop where Sam and Vincent are. Yeah. The radio broadcast was appreciated as a way to tie it all up in a way that makes sense, but then they blow it. Why do they have that little narration at the end? What little narration? With Vincent's walking up the stairs. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I guess that was the third third lesson all along. They should never be like. What is that? Mm-hmm. It's so dumb. Like it's like it's like. Why are you doing this? Like yeah. it's like it's a love story now. It's like super strange. Like it's a very weird way to end the movie. Like I, I kind of didn't really get that. Um, see, I feel like I'm being more negative about this movie than I actually felt watching it. But the thing is about like when watching, like when talking about it, I don't really know how to praise the things that I enjoyed. Let me try to jump in and and tell you about some of the things that I liked. Uh, You made mention earlier that it's funny. It is funny in the way, like, to me, anyhow, it's funny in the way that, like, a James Bond movie is in that there's, like, one-liners and quips in little one-offs that are funny. Yeah, like, it's not slapstick. Right. Um, You know, like, a great example of this is, I'm going to butcher the exact line, but it's something along the lines of, you're worried about saving your own skin? And (laughs) without missing a beat, Sam says, yeah, it covers my body. And it's just that mm-hmm. soup that's kind of silly. He has a lot of those, yeah, yeah, right? Like, there's a lot of those for him throughout the, especially like the first third of the movie, mm-hmm. you know, when he's like, Oh, you haven't been tortured. It's like, well, and like describes a cocktail that they gave him. Like, it's, you know, it's like stuff that like doesn't even, I think, like really make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but like not in a bad way. I think it's like purposeful. They're yeah. just like, he's just trying to frustrate everyone around him for fun, right? Like, he's, he's trying to like, yeah, have you ever killed anyone? Yeah, it's like I upset somebody's feelings yeah, once or something. Exactly. Right? I hurt someone's feelings. Yeah, so stuff like that. He's just, you know, he's deflecting um, because he actually needs to deflect because he can't give away who he is, right? But but when you're watching it in the movie, you figure he's just like somebody who has a checkered past and doesn't want you to know about it. Um, I really like that that uh, after like the car chase, after the bad negotiation, that uh, Sean Bean gets car sick. Yeah, <laughs> never seen that in a movie before. But it makes perfect sense. I mean, I figure the reason that they did it here was to be like, "Oh, he's not tough enough. He must right, be right. a fraudster." Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm assuming that was what happened there, right? That like they realize he's a fake, like he's not who he says he is. I, th- I think that started with when during the gun buy, you know, they they start unloading the Volvo wagon, and then the French people are like, "Hey, come, come, come here! This is where the rest of the stuff is," which you wouldn't have known because you couldn't see the subtitles. But they're like, "Come in this tunnel. That's where the rest of the stuff is." And Sam, I think in English, says to Sean Bean, "You're not going in there, right? Because you're sitting duck. You know, they're funneling mm-hmm. us into a tunnel where mm-hmm. we're going to get shot." And he even says, "Like if they have a sniper, which they definitely did, right? Like mm-hmm. he gave Vincent a tip about how to deal with the inevitable sniper that occurred." Right. And so I think that was the first clue that Sean Bean 
didn't really know what he was doing because nobody, uh, I, I mean, I don't know anything about this myself, but my- He wasn't showing good tactical uh, exactly, knowledge. Exactly right. And then, you know, he gets sick in the car and then the when, when they go to the whiteboard, he says, you know, draw it again, draw it again. And, you know, he's showing, he's showing two people shooting each other, like two friendly fire, he's showing friendly fire. And it's just clear that he's kind of a putz. But, um, but anyway, no, I, I love- I love the way that Sam especially just knows what he's doing. Like some of the things like my favorite scenes in uh, like the Bourne series, the Jason Bourne series, like the Bourne identity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like you've seen all those, right? Or at least the first few. Oh yeah. Man. Okay. So uh, semi spoiler for that. Like, I don't remember which of the first two or three movies it was that at one point, uh, Jason Bourne, who's Matt Damon, is talking to uh, Pam Landy. Was that her name? I forget the actress's name. Um, but he's talking to this woman who's trying to bring him in. And they're having this phone conversation. And the implication is he's like, you know, hundreds of miles away or whatever. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, oh, and get some sleep, Pam. You look tired. And it's like, oh, my God, he's right there. You know, so it's like this 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 reveal that that Jason Bourne is so in control and just knows what he's doing. And this is also a, a lot of what I love about Ocean's Eleven is when a group of people just know what they're doing in a way that can only really work in a movie. And I think Sam is that kind of person, less superhero-y than Jason Bourne, because Jason Bourne is like he's not literally a superhero, but it's like supernatural, the things that he's able to do and figure out and plan. But here, I think it's just a guy who clearly has been around the block and knows what he's doing, doing good work. And I just something about that just really appeals to me, and I really like it. And so, you know, the thing where where he puts the like fake bullets in the plants in the in the main car chase to like distract the the people that they're trying to accost, just all of that sort of stuff. Like it doesn't take having the biggest gun to be the winner. It just takes being the smartest in a lot of scenarios. And I think that's something that I really like about this movie. Accents above. <laughs> Oof, those Irish accents. Woo! To me, they Not were fine. Good. I mean, I yeah, couldn't tell. Yeah. Uh, I don't doubt that you can tell, but for me, I couldn't tell. Holy moly! Two British actors. Um, definitely not Irish. Uh, yeah, they were bad. Bad news. Natasha McElhone plays Deirdre. Hers was better than uh, Jonathan Price, mm-hmm. who I always just think of as that James Bond villain. Yeah, that's why <laughs> tomorrow never dies. Elliot yeah, Carver. Yeah, yep, yep. yep. It, it's just he is synonymous with that role for me. Whenever yep. I see him, I'm like, oh, it's the newspaper guy. Uh, it's the only role I can ever imagine him ever having played. Um, I don't know why that is, but like, I well, it's probably because I loved James Bond movies so much as a kid and watched that movie like a billion times. So like, you know, him saying Stamper and tapping this little red computer is like <laughs> just burned into my brain. Stamper, that's just in my head forever. Uh, the car chases are amazing. They're so freaking so good. They're so long. They're so thrilling. They are so real. Audibly, they are incredible when they're driving through the tunnel and they're hitting those little metal grates. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. So good. At one point, a, a police car loses a hubcap. It's like, fantastic. Thank you yep. so much for letting that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this like, a, it's like, oh, a truck's going to crush some cars. It's going to fall on its side. Now we're going to drive the wrong way down the motorway and all like a million cars are going to crash into each other. We're going to go down this tunnel forever and everything's going to explode and a police car is going to flip over on its side and we're going to just dodge it in time. And it's like, I have never, well, I cannot recall seeing car chases that, again, like felt so real to me. Um, it shot beautifully. I love that there's so little music played. There's ah, like yes. earlier, on in the, mm-hmm. earlier on in the movie, it's like kind of, 
hilarious some of the stuff that's happening like when he's trying to uh shoot the rocket launcher out of the sunroof and it's just like you cannot like it's like you know robert de niro the stunt guy just like his body is just flying all over the place because yeah that's what would happen and yep. also rocket launch is a terrible weapon to have in a car um just too big right just like you could see it. it's like it's too big for a car but it did the job uh but yeah those car chases my gosh my gosh they're so good and wow. i'm glad you noticed about the music because i don't know that i did until last night but uh, it all started, and this is at about, I took a note of the time because I wondered how long it was. At, a, at an hour and 24 minutes, uh, Vincent and Sam are sitting in the uh, Citroen or Peugeot or whatever it is, the little blue sedan that, they're, that they drive in the main car chase. They're in a Peugeot. Oh, thank you. Like okay. a 407 or something. Yeah, so they're in a Peugeot. See, I don't, we don't get those over here, so I, I am clueless. But anyway, they're in a Peugeot, and the, the, the audio is like muted almost in a way that feels almost uncomfortable to me, but then Sam puts the window down and suddenly you can hear everything the way you would expect. You know, like if they, they actually took the time to make the audio match the fact that the window was up, which is a small thing, but I thought it was really well done. But then to your point, it wasn't until like halfway through the car chase, which by the way, lasted a full 10 minutes. It wasn't mm. until about halfway through the car chase that we had any music, which is, which, which is exactly what you said, that there was no music in the beginning. All you hear is all the sound effects and the revving of the engines and the honking and the, and the I don't know, like, you couldn't hear the flashing lights, but you see them flashing their lights saying, get out of the way, get out of the way. Like so much of this, I think you nailed it. It doesn't feel like it was a movie set that was staged. Like take a look at, um, what was the second Matrix movie? I assume you've seen that trilogy as well. Oh, um, yeah, like Reloaded or whatever. I think that's right, yeah. And they do that chase where Trinity is on the motorcycle and the t- and the twins are in the then new uh, uh, Cadillac, like half SUV, half pickup. That is a very good car chase that is clearly on a soundstage. Like there is no yeah. doubt that everyone there. Well, they, it's just a road that was like one marsh of a road that was built or whatever. Right, and exactly. like a lot of those, a lot of movies these days feel like just like that. Like here's a small car chase scene on a motorway, which is, you know, it's just like clear, very clear what, what they're doing. Yep. And this one, there's so many real roads like in France, you know, they seem to be dry. I assume it's all shot in France. I mean, mm-hmm. it's set in France. I assume it's shot in France too. And like, I just cannot fathom how it was technically possible for them to have so much access to these roads and cause so much destruction. Like, I just have no idea how they were able to pull that off. Yeah. And I think that is this movie's crowning achievement. It's not just the car chases, but like, how they managed to do them. I would love to see like a documentary about this movie. Like just to understand that. I don't know that I have. I'll have to see if I can rip that without subtitles from my Blu-ray as mm. well. But uh yeah, it was so well done. And and I, I think that the the fact of the matter is they did put like hundreds of stunt drivers on these roads such that it was under control. You had no there's no choice. They had to, right? You right. can't just like have this actually sure. happening. But like but that but that's what I mean though. Like the amount of people and the amount of vehicles that they needed to pull this off is it's kind of astounding. Yeah, and uh, John Frankenheimer directed this and he did uh, what was the name of that? Grand Prix, which I have not seen, but um it was from 1966 and my understanding again having having never seen the movie is that it is it was up until Ronin the best car chase ever put to film was the same director's other film from 
30 years earlier. Um, and so I do want to watch Grand Prix at some point. But anyway, it, the, the car chases alone, I think, are worth the price of admission for this movie. I do think the plot is good in general. But, uh, well, it's good with holes. <laughs> I do think it's it's entertaining. Could I think. have done without that operating scene, though. Oh, yeah. Didn't you probably that. didn't care for that, did you? Did not need that. Terrible. Hated that. Hated it. Although the end good was pretty scene. good. Hated it. Yeah. <laughs> if, it's, if it's all like, if you can stitch me up, I'm going to pass out now. <laughs> if you don't it, it, it was good, right? Like, it was good. Like, it made... Um, I, I was a little bit confused. It's probably because I didn't get any of the language. But, like, I didn't understand who that guy was, right? Why they were there and why he had all the equipment to perform operations but didn't know how to do it. Yeah, I think the... Well, I agree. I don't know if maybe we're supposed to think that a lot of that equipment is related to his hobby of doing miniatures. I'm not saying Mm. it's the same equipment, but maybe... Mm. I'm not sure. But he seemed... Either way, it seemed to me... The way... My my headcanon for this is that Jean Renault, or however you pronounce his name, is probably or was probably associated with some sort of French equivalent of the CIA at some point in his past. Now, there's nothing in the film that tells you that. This is just my headcanon. And because of that, I took the guy who I don't think we ever, oh, Jean Pierre is the, is the character's name uh, that, that likes the miniatures. I took him to be like one of his associates from his working days in the same way the guy with the cell phone triangulation in the car, you know who I'm talking about, the American guy, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, that appears to be uh, an associate of Sam's from his CIA days. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I think that Jean-Pierre in my head canon, it's the same thing to Vincent. Again, yeah, nothing in the movie says that at least that, a confidant. There's something about him, right? But. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But... I, I I agree with everything you've said about this movie pretty much, which is good because a lot of times we don't agree. But uh, I, I think there's a lot of this, the, there's a lot of the movie that, that is enjoyable and that I like and I think is well executed. I think the story left a lot to be desired. So like given the the script that they had, I feel like the movie is an extraordinarily well executed rendition of that script, but I'm not sure the script was really ready. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Those car chases, though. <clears throat> God, so good. Those car chases. Very good car chases. So apparently the way they filmed the, the lead actors is that they had your crazy wrong side drive cars that were driven by stunt drivers, but then they duplicated the entire like instrument cluster and all that and steering wheel and so on on the left-hand side, but the left-hand side was inert. And so what would happen is the actor would be not driving in the left-hand drive seat. Then a stunt driver would be in the right-hand drive seat at the same time doing all the driving. So all of these reactions and stuff to some degree were genuine. And they were just in, you know, like Sam and, and Deirdre were basically just mimicking what the stunt driver right off, right off frame was doing in order to make it look like they were driving. But a lot of the reactions of like the things that were happening around them were, I I guess at least somewhat real because they are really in these cars, really doing a lot of these ridiculous maneuvers. Yeah. Cause I think there's a lot of stuff that's happening where it's like, they know what they want to do. This car's going to get to there here. It's going to go on its side and this car's going to go around it or whatever, but you don't actually know the trajectory of the vehicle. Yeah, the the police car in the tunnel that flips over, I think is the... That's the the one that I think of the most. 
that just started sliding and they just had to like scoot around it real quick. Yeah. And you don't know to your, to your point, you don't know how this is going to turn, which way it's going to slide. You know, you just have to wing it and that's what they did. And it worked out. Now, admittedly that was an exterior shot where they did that. But I think your point is a hundred percent accurate that a lot of these things, they knew the broad strokes of what was going to happen, but it, it appears, I don't know this for fact, but it appears that they basically told the stunt drivers, well, something along these lines is going to happen. Eh, wing it. <laughs> and so, and they did. And, oh God, everything about it was so good. I, I, I love this movie. I don't know that it's a good movie having seen it again. Well, I've seen it many, many, many times, but having watched it again, trying to come to it as raw as I possibly could. I don't know if it's a good movie, but man, I enjoyed it. And I'm genuinely very pleased that you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I agree. With you. I don't know if this is a good movie, but I enjoyed the movie. So what did Adina think when it was all done? She was the same. Okay. You know, she's just like, I have no idea what happened in this movie, but it was fun. (laughs) So when I first met Aaron back uh, 14 years ago, there were a couple of things that I noticed in her media collection that made me think, huh, that's cool. I remember scrolling through her iTunes library on her uh, PC and seeing Jethro Tull in there and thinking to myself, that's unusual. Good for her. I like it. Uh, And then one of the, when I was looking through her DVD library, sure enough, there was Ronan. And I thought that was extremely unusual as well. And I was like, ah, this lady has some pretty good taste. Maybe there's something here. And uh, I will always remember seeing Ronan and Jethro Tull uh, in her media collection and thinking to myself, you know, this, this lady's probably meant for me. <laughs> this is a good sign. <laughs> so yeah, Ronan will always have a special place in my heart in that regard. But uh, yeah, they're, uh, I, I just love this movie. I, I think it's so much fun. I, I really, really enjoy it. And I'm... I think it is a heist movie in only the most broad terms. Like I don't, I don't think it's a heist movie in the way that, that Marco and Tiff are going for. And I think I told Marco that when I was uh, petitioning for him to include Ronan in the, in the list of movies they watched, I I think it's a heist movie ish, but one way or another, it's, it's an enjoyable, an enjoyable movie. And I'm glad you watched it. I'm glad you liked it. All right, today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud and get your server up and running in seconds with your own choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers, and they're all looked after by their 24-7 support team. If you ever run into any problems, drop them an email, give them a call, or chat over IRC in the Linode community if that's easier for you. Whatever suits you best they want to help with. And they have super awesome guides and support documentation as well. So if you just need to quickly look something up, then you can. They also have a management tool, which is amazing. They have something new. It's come out of beta recently at cloud. Uh, it's in beta, I should say, recently at cloud.linode.com. This new management console is a single-page application build using the cutting-edge React.js stack and is backed entirely by their public API. And it's open source as well. Plus, Linode have two-factor authentication to keep you and all of your data safe and secure. Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Their plans start with just one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And Linode have a special offer for listeners of this show. Go to linode.com analog or use the promo code analog2019 at checkout to get $20 towards any Linode plan. On the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that'll get you four free months of service, and they have a seven-day money-back guarantee as well. So give it a try today. Go to linode.com, that's L-I-N-O-D-E.com slash analog and use the promo code analog2019-2019 to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their continued support of this show and all of Relay FM. Let's do some Relay or Feels. Before we do, Mm. I need more. So if you have 
any questions you would like to hear us answer. They can be short, they can be long, they can be silly, they can be serious. Uh, whatever you want, please just send out a tweet with the hashtag relay your feels and it may be included in a future episode. But I'm, I'm running low on the old Relay Your Feels questions, which is probably because we don't do them frequently enough anymore. So uh, please send those in, and hopefully we'll have some more for future episodes. Yes, please. All right, Chance writes in, as podcast professionals, do you see video podcasts as being the same level as what you do, or do you think they stretch the definition of what a podcast is too much? It's YouTube videos now. Yeah. I don't think video podcasts exist anymore, really. I know people make yeah. them, um, but if you do a podcast which is considered a video podcast, surely you're putting it on YouTube. So at that point, it's just a YouTube show. Yep. Right. And I'm not trying to like claim ownership of the term podcast to audio, but I think at this point, podcast means a specific thing. And YouTube is so dominant in video that calling a video on the web anything other than a YouTube video means it's probably in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Did you ever consume video podcasts? Because I never, ever, ever have. Yeah, that's how I started. I started with video. Yeah. And moved to audio. Yeah, Dignation. Mm, right, I right, used right, to watch right. the video versions. I used to be like, why would I want to watch the audio? Why would I want to listen to audio? So this is before I had a job or anything, right? Like I was just like a college student. So it's just like, oh, and also the video iPod was a thing. So it's just like, well, I'll just watch the videos on my video iPod. Why would I, why would I want to listen to the audio? I have a video iPod. Um, and then ultimately realized that for this type of medium, a lot of the time, most of the time, um, with the type of things that I was consuming, audio is better. Um, and there were some some shows that I watched that were more tailored to being video, and like actually you would lose something if they were audio. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I was that I was uh, consuming could have just been as easily consumed as a as an audio version and a video version. Um, and now, like I watched. Lots of content that I guess would be considered a video podcast if YouTube didn't exist. Um, but at this point, I think that the terminology and the methodology around online video has changed so much that that really you can have podcasts that are in video form, but they're they're YouTube videos. I mean, it's kind of funny to me to see like there are a lot of like super famous popular vloggers now that make what they call podcasts they're these huge sets and really they're intended to be watched the like you're intended to watch the video version mm. so like at that point it's just a youtube chat show it's not it's like a completely different idea like i feel like if your distribution if your production has been created for its main intended distribution uh system to be video on youtube then it's a YouTube show. It's not a podcast. It's a YouTube show that also has a podcast attached to it because you release the audio. Yeah, Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I mean, and we're getting into semantics now, but it's just kind of interesting to me that YouTubers, which is clearly like, I mean, let's be real, the winning system platform, right? Like it is the most popular. YouTube is more popular than podcasts, right? Like mm -hmm. being a popular YouTuber if you are one of the most popular YouTubers or one of the middle most popular YouTubers, you are much more successful than one of the middle most popular podcasters. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, but so it's kind of interesting to me now to see YouTubers wanting to make and like take the term podcast and like make podcasts, but make them like videos. And it's just interesting to me that that, that kind of terminology is starting to seep back in when it feels like it's really... I mean, because at the start, when YouTube videos were starting to appear, a lot of the time they were called video podcasts. And now it's like that went away as podcasting wasn't cool, but now podcasting is cool again. 
now it's coming back into YouTube. I'm making no, I'm casting no aspersions on anyone here. I'm just like noting something that I find interesting. Oh, totally. Chris writes, how do you decide a project is worth your time when it isn't directly making you money? I think a great example of this for me is the uh, car videos, which I am not done with, but am winding down. Um, and so I've uh, mostly stopped those. I have a couple that I plan to do, but I think those are mostly going away. I think I will still do them from time to time, but I don't know that I will do them very often. And the reason Let is- me- let me tell you from my own experience, that means you're never going to do it. Uh, probably. Them. When you're I probably stopped right. vlogging, it was like, oh, well, I have ideas for videos. I'm sure I'll make them at some point. I have never even one day thought about doing it. <laughs> because every time I think about getting the camera out and setting it up and like trying to wait for the light and trying to plan the shots and thinking about having to put it all into to logic, into Final Cut, I just stop. I solved yeah. the process. So yeah, it's just not going to be worth it. Yeah, we'll see me. what happens. But uh, the reason I would continue to do it is because it is scratching an itch for me anyway. It's scratching an itch that I don't generally get to scratch otherwise. And I think as you've talked about in the past, Mike, that's not the same for you in vlogging. But one way or another, uh, I, I definitely plan to release two, um, it, it, if nothing else. And then I have plans to film one or two more besides that. But we'll see if that ever ends up actually happening. How do you figure out if something's worth your time if it doesn't make you money? I did just want to say, like, I appreciated that you took my advice and did some Instagram stuff with the car, the mm, off mm -hmm. Romeo, yep. instead of, like, bogging yourself down with making another YouTube video that you didn't necessarily want to make. Oh, no, I probably still will. <laughs> at, least I did, oh, I, at least I did some Instagram stuff, too. Uh, the, there was a second part to Chris's question, uh, where Chris said, I really enjoy Mike's show thoroughly considered, but I'm constantly worried it will go away since there's, an, there's not any advertising associated with that show. Oh, I thought that was it's your true. notes to yourself. No, I'm sorry, Chris. No, it does look like it. <laughs> but it um, yeah, thoroughly considered is a show that I do with uh, Tom and Dan at Studio Neat, and it's I kind good. of made the conscious decision that it would be incredibly unlikely for us to take advertising on the show, and I've never pursued advertising for the show, because ultimately we're spending the majority of the episodes talking about the products that Tom and Dan make. So it is not like no money is ever exchanged hands. Like they're not paying me to make the show with them. Right. Or anything that's like sponsored content, but I just don't know how I would really comfortably put advertising into a show like that when it's mm, kind mm -hmm. of, in, you know, so much of it is built around promoting the, what they make. So I do that show for fun. Um, and also it's, they are, uh, Tom and Dan are great guidance for me as I'm like moving more into making physical goods in my life. And I like to be, uh, I like to, to be their sounding board as I am sometimes, especially as they have moved into, um, more stationary goods. It's like, we spend a lot of time for as much time as we're talking on the show. We're also talking like after the show. And they're like, well, we're thinking about this. What do you think of this? Like, you know, like when it came to like the Pano book and the Mark One, I like knew about those for a long time and was trying to help them. And I find that kind of like an, an honor and fascinating as like to be as part of their process. Because I always, you know, I used to say to them, I've been trying to get those guys to do a show with me for years because I was always so fascinated about the way that they design products. And, and it was just, I just wanted to know more about it kind of like by asking them questions a lot and like giving them re a reason to have to tell me stuff. Um, so, you know, but with stuff like that, I have to limit the time that I spend on it. So like there, there's been, 
So the last two, uh, so kind of behind the scenes on it, the last two episodes, there's been like a significant delay between recording and releasing. And there's been a problem because on one episode, we talk about air power and then air power was canceled before the episode came out. <laughs> and on the next one, we were talking about folding screens and then Samsung's folding screens all started to break before the episode came out. <laughs> Whoops. And now I hate sitting on things for a long time, but I had been having some situations with shoulder pain and, and elbow pain and stuff like that, where I was trying to limit the amount of time I was editing. And on both of those occasions, they were I had lots of editing projects to do during the shows, the weeks that I recorded with Tom and Dan. So I had to prioritize the stuff that is actually makes money for me in my business yeah. to get that done before I could move on to Thoroughly Considered when I was confident that I wasn't going to be injuring myself, right? Um, I was stupid in not sharing this with them. I just did it because now Dan was like, well, I'll edit the show then. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's like his little things like that. Um, but I mean, that it goes it goes for a lot of stuff that I've been trying to do this year as part of my yearly theme of like reducing and stabilizing some of the stuff that I do, which is why, like I spoke about this already, like we have the wonderful Jim Metzendorf edit this show. Jim edits an, another couple of shows of mine now, which I always used to do. Um, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm just trying to, so this is me like doing what Chris is saying, like the, the way that I can make a project worth my time, even if it's even not either a making me any money or B not making a lot of money or C not making enough money to justify the amount of time it takes to edit, which I'm not trying to say that about this show. For me, it was just like, Hey, I don't need to edit this anymore. So like, I just came to the realization of like, Casey does all this work at the front. Like I'm not adding anything. Right. So it would kind of felt pointless at this at that juncture for me because really, as we said before, like in theory, Casey should be editing, but that's like a whole thing to think about for the future. <laughs> um, so I just decided, well, I can get rid of this really easily. So I did. Um, but yeah, so that's how I do it. That's how I balance it. As my life becomes more complicated, as it is all the time, um, and becomes busier, as it is all the time. Uh, I am constantly evaluating what I'm doing and how much time I'm putting into things. Uh, so that's how I make that decision. Because really, everything I'm doing, I want to keep doing it. So I'm just trying to find ways to make sure that I can. 